Are you ready to take your intermittent fasting lifestyle to the next level? There's nothing better than community to help with that. In the Delay Don't Deny community, we all embrace the clean fast, and there's just the right support for you as you live your intermittent fasting lifestyle. You can connect directly with me in the Ask Jen group, and I'll answer all of your questions personally. If you're new to intermittent fasting or recommitting to the intermittent fasting lifestyle, join the 28-Day Fast Start group. After your fast start, join us for support in the first-year group. Need tips for long-term maintenance? We have a place for that. There are many more useful spaces beyond these, and you can interact in as many as you like. Visit jenstevens.com community to join us. An annual membership costs just over a dollar a week when you do the math. If you aren't ready to fully commit for a year, join for a month, and you can cancel at any time. If you know you'll want to stay forever, we also have a lifetime membership option available. IF is free. You don't need to join our community to fast. But if you're looking for support from a community of like-minded intermittent fasters, we're here for you at jenstevens.com community. That's jenstevens.com community. If you've been listening to my podcast for a while, you know what a fan I am of Dr. Tim Spector and the work he's doing with Zoe. I was first introduced to his work in 2015, and I've been following his research ever since. What I love most about the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast is that they have weekly interviews with world-leading experts who explain how their latest research can benefit your health. Recently, I was thrilled to finally meet him face-to-face as we recorded an episode for the Zoe Science and Nutrition podcast, and this episode aired on April 11th. We had a chance to talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study, and I had the opportunity to explain the clean fast to Jonathan, which may explain why he didn't enjoy his prior experiences with fasting. Search for Zoe Science and Nutrition on your podcast player or on YouTube to hear the latest episode, and don't forget to look for the April 11th episode to hear me, Tim, and Jonathan talk about the world's biggest intermittent fasting study. Welcome to Intermittent Fasting Stories. I'm your host, Jen Stevens, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat, as well as the book that started it all, Delay Don't Deny. I lost over 80 pounds thanks to intermittent fasting after learning how to delay my eating rather than denying myself the delicious foods I want to eat. Now, who's ready to hear an inspirational intermittent fasting story? That's why we're here. So let's get excited to talk to today's guest. Hi, everybody, and welcome to episode 145 of Intermittent Fasting Stories. Today, I'm here with a very special guest. It is Marty Kendall. Marty lives in Brisbane, Australia, where he is an engineer by day, but he is a biohacker by night. (laughs) And he runs the Optimizing Nutrition website and also is the creator of Data-Driven Fasting. And I was just sharing with Marty before we got started that I've actually been a fan of the Optimizing Nutrition website since I first ran across it probably in 2017. And anyone who's going to look for it, it has an S in it instead of a Z because it's Australia. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> anyway, I'm so glad that you're here, Marty. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Jen. Great to chat. 
Well, we got connected. For anyone who was listening a few episodes ago, we had a, a group member of mine who is a, a big fan of Marty's and talked about his work. And, and I was like, you know, I really have to get Marty on the podcast. Yeah, Lori's so lovely. She's um, sharing and introducing me to amazing people. And she's been using the data-driven fasting thing for a couple of years and had great results. And it's just great to see people being passionate about the process and getting results. And what I love is it helps people dial in when they need a little more. You know, I just did intermittent fasting. You know, I started, I did intermittent fasting, I ate food, I changed my window. I didn't have any data <laughs> other than what my scale was doing over time and my, my weekly average. But, you know, a lot of people need need more. They need to dig in a lot more than just, you know, set it and forget it kind of fasting. So I want to start at the beginning. We'll get into all of that. But what brought you to intermittent fasting? Yeah. And when um, was that? Wow. I was thinking about that as I listened to all your podcasts and I knew Jim's going to ask that. But um, I suppose I, I started into, you know, wife Monica is a type 1 diabetic, got married about 18 years ago and fell into trying to understand nutrition and insulin and, and uh, blood sugars and all the things that changed that to improve the quality of her life. And then started following Rob Wolf and, and Jimmy Moore and then stumbled across Jason Fung. I think his Ideology of Obesity series blew me away back in 2013, like a six-part epic series. And there's a few things in there that he mentioned about the food insulin index. And I dug into that and started quantifying that to understand how to modify money's insulin and uh, dosing and optimized food choices to get stable blood sugars and insulin. And that really, really helped us. And then dialing that into add nutrient density to understand, you know, window worthy foods. I love that term you keep using. And uh, uh, yeah, to, to understand what is nutrient dense that's low insulin at the same time. So yeah, then I, following Jason Moore, I you know started doing the intermittent fasting and longer fast and extended fast and just dialing in what worked for me. But at the same time, you know, it's hard to understand exactly what will work for you over the long term and had to self-reflect and use a bit of data to try and dial that in. Absolutely. So, you know, I also, you know, came across his original blog posts. Probably for me, it wasn't until maybe 2015 and when I, I started finding his work and reading about it. And then, you know, was anxiously waiting for the obesity code <laughs> to come out. So excited <laughs> Yeah, all the blogs were great and just, um, you know, kept on sharing his journey and, yeah, learned a lot. So you are an intermittent faster yourself, is that true? or I'll use it in phases. Like I've gone from like 115 kilos, which is 250 pounds, down to 85 kilos or 187 pounds. So I've sort of had a bit of a, a weight loss journey through that period and then – I feel like I like to be strong rather than, um, you know, skinny and weak. So I like to, you know, lift a little bit. And that, and that ends up getting to the point where you, you know, maybe I've put on a bit too much, need to lose a bit of fat. So I'll use this sort of data-driven fasting approach, designed a spreadsheet. You know, I live watching my wife's blood sugars all day. So I thought that would make sense to say, let's wait until I really need to refuel. So I use that intermittently, I suppose, to... Uh, so you're an intermittent... Intermittent faster. Intermittent or intermittent squared faster. I'm a real square, <laughs> I think. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Taking it to the next level. <laughs> I love it. Intermittently intermittent fasting. But, you know, we all have different 
you know, reasons why we do it. I do it now. I mean, I've been at my goal range since, you know, 2015. And so I continue to do it because it allows me to eat the foods I love and maintain, you know, my my weight loss. But I also would continue to do it just because I love the way I feel, mm, mm. you know. And so we all come here for different reasons, but we keep doing it intermittently or every day. <laughs> You know, to meet the goals that we have. And there's different periods. I mean, you need to eat enough to grow and build muscle and and recover and all those sort of things. And I've, you know, it's interesting having a constant conversation with your inner lizard brain through the the lens of all the data and understanding and metabolism. And it's a constant learning experience to try and understand how my own biology, biology works. And it's a bit of a bit of a torture sometimes to go, I know why I'm craving that peanut butter right now because I did this. Because you and, know because you're looking at your blood glucose, right? Yeah, or I've lifted really heavy and my body's craving the fat and carbs together to replenish the energy and yeah, the, I don't want another piece of um, tuna or you know lean whatever. <laughs> Just Last give, night my body said have some vanilla ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> Like and it really so, did. And sometimes it's okay <laughs> to listen to that. <laughs> We're recording this at the beginning of February. It's actually been in the freezer since Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving, which we have in November. It's been, I mean, it hadn't called my name till last night. I was like, ooh, <laughs> it's time. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, all this was through the lens of your wife's type 1 diabetes and understanding that. So I want to understand you know, your path to where you are right now. How did your developments, I mean, because, you know, before she was, was she always type 1 diabetic when you met her or? Yeah, since she was 10. So it's been 33 years of of managing type 1 diabetes. But then you came along. Yeah. And we had very, I suppose, when we started to think about having children, we found a, a doctor who helped us dial in blood sugars to an extent. But before that, it'd been such a a lack of useful information to help people with type 1 manage their food and their insulin. And I was like, this is a real need to try and dial that in to, and that, you know, the, the food insulin index to identify which foods will help stabilize blood sugars and insulin is just a, a really, really, really big deal. But then I realized that living on butter and peanut butter and drinking olive oil only is not nutrient dense, not satiating. I did it for a while, bulletproof coffee and unlimited fat to try and get my ketones really elevated. And uh, I looked in the mirror and I thought, mm, maybe that's not working so well for me. So I knew I had to pivot a little bit. Well, I want to dig into all of that. We have a lot a lot more time. I want to dig into your book about the keto myths I love. But, but I want to go back to something so that you can explain that to the listeners, and that is the food insulin index. And that's one of the first things I think I might have run across. My second book, Feast Without Fear, I wrote that in 2017. I was a teacher still. I hadn't retired yet. And, you know, Marty, you're familiar with the diet wars yeah. <laughs> that have been <laughs> I'm, going I'm, on. I'm trying to end them with, with one view of nutrition that brings them all together from... Exactly. Like, it's just like, this is stupid. Let's look at optimal rather than, you know... Extreme stupid versus extreme stupid. Well, in the community, I had a very small community now looking back. It felt large at the time. But back then, you know, people would argue, you know, there was the one side of things that if you're not doing keto, you're wasting your time. You know, fasting is worthless unless you're also keto. But then there's people who are like, well, I'm a vegetarian and I'm doing really well with the fasting. And other people are like, well, I like to read about the blue zones and they're not whatever. And so I was like, you know, let me dig into all this. So that's why I wrote Feast Without Fear, because I didn't want people to 
you know, feel like there was one true way. But I was like, maybe there is one true way. Let me see if I can find it. And my research took me to, hmm, not one true way. (laughs) Actually not. But that was the first time I had read about the food insulin index. You know, because we were all, especially if you'd read Jason Fung, you're like, all right, you know, we know that eating, you know, bread is going to raise your insulin levels a lot. But there was pretty much the thought that that was it. You know, carbs raised your insulin, that was all. So explain the food insulin index. Yeah, I suppose let me touch on the strengths and limitations. So the strengths are, you know, the the background is they did a a really cool study back when the same people that developed the GI glucose index in University of Sydney back in, I think it was 87, did some really cool investigation where they tested about 100, no, it was 28 foods initially, with uni students and measured their blood sugar excursion area under the curve and their insulin response over two hours. So they had 28 foods and had this funky graph and you look at it and go, "Mm, okay, um, potatoes are good because they're really satiating. Protein seems to have a some insulin response, fat seems to have a, a low insulin response, but it's really hard to understand what to do with that data. But then I found a, a thesis looking at type 1 diabetes and the food insulin index and downloaded the data, jammed it into a spreadsheet and tried to understand the relationship of the different macronutrients and how that changed blood sugars and insulin. Basically, I suppose the first thing to understand is that they did the testing over two hours. So it's the first two hours, and that's where I think we over-extrapolate this data and create a bit of a misunderstanding sometimes. So they measured the first two hours, and over the first two hours, like things like glucose will raise your blood sugars and insulin really quickly. Protein will have a, a slower, maybe 50% insulin response, and then fat has a lower insulin response over the first two hours. But over the fullness of time, um, you know, everything to some degree raises insulin. I suppose to tie that up, the good thing with that is I was able to rank foods based on the foods that raised Moni's blood sugar a lot really quickly and the ones that kept them fairly stable. So if you identified foods that kept the blood sugars fairly stable, you're not on that blood sugar roller coaster, which is really, really, really important for some injecting insulin. So once you get on that roller coaster, you're always correcting, trying to inject more eat to get out of the lows you just drove yourself into and um, you put on weight because of that mismatch between the food you're eating and the insulin you're injecting and the hunger you're driving from the exogenous insulin that you are eating all the time. So you end up eating more because this mismatch of insulin and, and food. But I suppose from uh, you know watching her blood sugars all the time and insulin, 80% of the insulin she requires each day is just to stop her body fat disintegrating and leaching into her bloodstream like it's a baser level of insulin that she has to inject that your your and my pancreas produces all the time so for for people who are on a high carb diet that might be 50 percent for people on a lower carb diet it might be 80 percent but i suppose that the aha moment for me is that you know if you really want to reduce insulin across the day and lose weight, you need to find a way of eating that drives greater satiety so you're not um, always hungry and always eating more. So that's a combination of finding the when to eat and what to eat that you know calms the lizard brain and you're not always thinking about food. And yeah, that's the whole satiety arm of what I'm interested in, which I think is really, really important as well. So 
We all face stress in our daily lives. What if the answer to a better stress response is in one key nutrient? I'm talking about magnesium, and specifically, Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. This one-of-a-kind product is designed to reverse low levels of magnesium, which could have a positive effect on our stress response. But don't take my word for it. Here's a quote from a 2020 issue of the scientific journal Nutrients. Results suggest that stress could increase magnesium loss, causing a deficiency. And, in turn, magnesium deficiency could enhance the body's susceptibility to stress, resulting in a magnesium and stress vicious circle. I only recommend Magnesium Breakthrough by Bioptimizers. It's the only organic full-spectrum magnesium supplement that includes seven unique forms of magnesium for stress resilience and better sleep. Simply go to bioptimizers.com slash ifstories promo code IFSTORIES10 to get your magnesium breakthrough and find out this month's gift with purchase. That's bioptimizers.com slash IFSTORIES, promo code IFSTORIES10. Green Chef is the number one meal kit for clean eating, delivering pre-portioned and prepped quality whole foods with limited processed ingredients. Green Chef sends organic, fresh produce, responsibly sourced proteins, and chef-designed recipes in every box for satisfying, nourishing, and convenient meals that fit in beautifully to my cleanish lifestyle, and the food is totally window-worthy. Tonight, we're having barbecue sweet potato tacos with cabbage and carrot slaw, black beans, corn and cheesy tortillas, and they come with Green Chef's chimichurri sauce. So good. Go to greenchef.com slash ifstories50 and use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's greenchef.com slash ifstories50. And don't forget to use the promo code ifstories50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's really key. The 80% of the insulin that, that we have for all of us that are not type 1 diabetic, that's just what our body's doing all the time, our fasting insulin level, whereas she's having to, to input that. So that's really key. And the goal is to not have to keep putting more in all day in the case of your wife. Yeah, and to let your own body fat stores reduce. It's just uh, it does to some degree come back to energy balance and, you know, calories in, calories out in a way, but we're really bad at counting calories and controlling that. So you have to, you know, and managing that calories or the calories out part of it. That's where the flaws really kind of get. It's so much more than just a math problem. It's a problem we can't really solve with our little phone apps and step counters. And our our lizard brain always finds a way to go, oh, there's that ice cream in the fridge, Jen. You uh, maybe you. uh, (laughs) That's cool. I think it's got your name on it tonight. So, you know, your lizard brain always finds a way to uh, overcome your, you think these smartphone apps, they're smart, but they're not really as smart as your lizard brain that keeps you alive. Because there's so much more going on behind the scenes, the drive to eat, your appetite signals, your satiety signals, and the whole idea of nutrient-dense food, and that's really what your body is looking for. Yeah, and once it gets the nutrients it needs, it goes, yeah, okay, I'm cool now. I'll, that's I'll enough. Get on once with, I you know. had that ice cream, I was good. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, though. I was good. I was done for the day. And- <laughs> yeah, and sometimes your body craves 
energy, but there's a balance between nutrients, energy, and, you know, amino acids, protein is probably the biggest lever in satiety that your body's craving, and then all the other vitamins and minerals it needs some, and once it gets enough of those, it just settles down. So that's been my quest over the last couple of years, trying to identify the foods and recipes that will help people just, you know, calm the lizard brain and, and not dream of ice cream or, and donuts all the time because they're giving their body what it needs but you know sometimes the uh, ice cream and donuts are fine but if you've front loaded the nutrients your body you'll just have a little bit you won't just be face down in the box of donuts all night or you'll forget that it's there yeah. like i did for all those months and it actually had little ice crystals on top that i had to throw away because it's been in the freezer all that time <laughs> i'd call it a definite win Jin. absolutely so um I want to talk about something that you've written that you actually sent me a copy of, and I love it. What's the title of the Keto Myths book that you've written? Big, big Fat Keto Lies. It was a bit big inflammatory, but it's funny oh, how, how, many, <laughs> how many people have gone, yeah, I really dig it. It's like I think it was time to go out with an inflammatory title about keto. But you're not against keto, yeah. which is the part that's funny because someone might read that <laughs> Big Fat Keto Lies and be like, oh, my God, he's going to expose it and talk about that it's bad, but you're not. You're just talking about the myths that are out there. And it's a lot of the reason why people are not successful on keto is because they're chasing these myths that are so prevalent. You know, I can remember, um, have you heard me talk about my own experience with keto ever? Um, I don't think so. I'm not sure. A okay, little bit. Back in the summer of 2014, before I switched over to intermittent fasting and reintroduced carbs, I was doing a wacky diet, and then I just said, this wacky diet is crazy. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm just going to be low-carb forever. I'm going to be keto. This is what I'm going to do. And I did it for the entire summer, and I didn't lose a pound. But you probably had really high ketones. Oh, yeah. I had one of those original – what was that breathalyzer that they had, the original one? The Yes, I had a ketonics and I would blow it and it would go to red. My ketones were high. I was drinking bulletproof coffee. I was one of the people that's like, oh, we're supposed to keep our carbs below 20 a day, not just net carbs. I'm going to be all carbs below 20. And I was like doing it perfectly, not losing any weight. And I was also always starving. I never felt full. And so I was like, forget it. And then I quit, reintroduced carbs, but started intermittent fasting at the same time. Now, this is how little I understood ketones. Obviously, very few people did, I think, back then, really. But I started back with about a five-hour daily eating window. And I can remember one day after I had a cheeseburger and fries, like an hour later, I'm blowing into my ketonics. And I'm like, I'm getting high levels of ketones. I'm back in ketosis. Of course, I was not back into ketosis, right? Those were ketones I made during the fast. But I was like, this burger and fries is not, you know, stopping me from having ketosis during the fast. And then I started to understand, wait a minute, ketones are not just keto diet. It's it was kind of mind blowing. I mean, the, the ketones you want are the the magic of ketosis happens energy deficit when your body's going into autophagy and, you know, repair and upregulation of sirtuins and NAD and ADH ratio and mitochondrial biogenesis and all these wonderful things that happen in, a, in an energy deficit in starvation. You can imagine, you know, ancestors starving for, for months and then, you know, they go into a down-regulation repair mode so they could be ready to when the feast came again, they could procreate and thrive and, you know, extend their life through doing that. But um, just 
through exogenous ketones, whether it's, you know, with the little prove it, whatever they were, jam those in or more butter or more whatever to get your ketones high. It's not the same thing because you're driving this energy deficit that your body still has to produce more insulin to hold in storage. So yeah, you you need to exogenous versus endogenous ketosis is a really important differentiation. And that's good wording, especially, you know, you're right. There was a whole, everybody's friend was selling ketones for a while. Every low-carb guru was an affiliate for ketone. uh, Whatever they were called. I can't remember. I know. (laughs) Prove it. That was it. We rejected that on the um, Internet Fasting (laughs) Podcast. Thank goodness. But I had a coffee group that got together every Saturday, and it was really funny because we were over there. We were intermittent fasters over there drinking our black coffee. And then there was a whole exogenous ketones group of people that also came, and we knew who they were because one of them was like a local newscaster, but she led them, and they had they're over there with their you know fat full coffee and their <laughs> their exogenous ketones. We we're like, we should just go whisper to them to come join us, make <laughs> look, your ketones for free from yeah, your body look, fat. <laughs> look how look how high my ketones are, but I'm you know, and I know people with type one diabetes that were chasing. Ketones, and I'm talking to Adi Dykman, who's a you know leads the Type One Group group on Saturday. But um, Alison, who co-founded that, she found her insulin dose doubled, her total daily dose doubled from trying to chase ketones, as the body was just trying to hold back all that fat in storage. So it's like this is not improving health by ju- simply raising ketones by eating more fat. That is so important. And that is foundational. And, you know, for years in the community, we allow people, to, obviously, you decide what way of eating works for you, and maybe it's keto. And that's absolutely fine. And I know there are people that absolutely thrive with that. But even today, in the group, someone will say, I'm, I'm doing keto, and I'm struggling, I'm not losing weight. And the number one go-to advice, I'm going to let you guess what it is, the number one advice that we see in our groups that people give. Good or bad. It was bad advice. The number one bad advice that's still given. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Need to get your ketones higher. Eat more fat. Just eat more fat. And I'm like, stop. (laughs) Stop telling people to eat more fat. But that is the number one advice. In fact, one day I was talking, I think it was on the Intermittent Fasting Podcast, and I talked about how, so I was talking to a mother and son, and we were like, what would we do if we started gaining weight? I'm like, well, for me, I would have less butter on my bread. And someone's like, wait a minute. No, butter is not bad. Have more butter on your bread. I'm like, no. Butter's a superfood. <laughs> I love my butter. I do yeah. love butter. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So but, why is eat more fat if you're struggling? Why is that such bad advice? Yeah, because um, you want to burn your body fat. Right. And you need to find a way of eating that will enable you to burn your body fat without being controlled by your lizard brain that just says, I need to survive, I need nutrients. And if you can find a way of eating and foods that you can eat that will drive satiety, then your appetite will settle down and you'll be able to use your own body fat for fuel. So that's the positive ketosis you want. I'm definitely not against low-carb and keto because you know my family has been completely blessed by being part of the movement and all the things we've learnt and Monty's total daily insulin dose has halved and both of us have lost a ton of weight by getting off um, you know, the insulin blood sugar roller coaster and, and going to a lower carb nutrient dense way of eating and it's been so 
amazing for our family and transformational, but I think we need to differentiate the good from the bad and any movement needs to continue to refine. So let's go, okay, what are the things that are helping us and what are the things that are not helping us? What are the common denominators that work for the blue zones and the plant peeps and the keto peeps and the low-carb peeps and the carnivore peeps? And let's bring it all together and say, okay, what's the essence of truth here that's helping us all and agree on that and move forward? So what would you say that some of those those essences of truth are? What's the truth, Marty? What's the truth? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just, you know, find a way of eating that makes you satiated. And the biggest levers are getting enough protein, a higher percentage of protein. It's not more protein, but it's a higher percentage of protein, as my buddy Ted Naiman Ted keeps Neal, talking yeah, about. That's where you were going with that, the protein lever hypothesis. Yeah, yeah. I had a really great chat with him last weekend and, you know, my little videos and podcasts get a few views and all of a sudden it's got 4,000 views in two days. I'm like, yeah, I'm famous. It's great. But, yeah, Ted was great. I uh, love him like a brother from another mother. But um, so much common history with Ted and, you know, his protein leverage is just the simple most dominant lever that helps people move their satiety so that it's not a matter of eating more protein it's about dialing back the fat and carbs in your diet and you know if you want to take it to the next level you say okay let's look at nutrient density and which nutrients am i not getting enough of and which foods contain more of them without excess energy so yeah it's nutrients per calorie and that's what we try to we sort of layer nutrient densities to the the icing on the cake of the protein leverage hypothesis and pe ratio yep i really think you know i've, I've said it before and i actually did not make it up but i don't know where i heard it originally but our bodies are not looking for calories our bodies are looking for nutrients yeah and most of us are carrying heaps of calories so if you just give it the nutrients you need it'll go yeah i don't need to eat more i'll just tap into my stored fuel yeah, the higher my nutrient density, I get full. I've had enough. I'm not in the kitchen wandering around, you know, <laughs> looking for something else. And <laughs> it's really it's striking, you know, for people that are struggling with overeating still, even with intermittent fasting, what you eat can be so huge. Yeah, you've got to balance what you eat and when you eat. And if you get those together, that's what we've tried to do is sort of I've banged on about optimizing nutrition for five years and then started data-driven fasting and talking about when to eat and like people go yeah this is great it's like but i think the other stuff is even more important but you need to find a balance between the two that works for you and and is is sustainable over the long term absolutely so tell us a few more of the big fat keto lies besides the eat more fat can you pop out a few that you don't have to name all of them I suppose um, the whole thing about more ketones is better is definitely a big challenge. Avoiding protein because of gluconeogenesis, that, that was a big trap that we all got very, very confused about. But protein is definitely the most satiating nutrient. So to avoid that is going to undermine your success. So yeah, you, if you're on a low-carb diet, your body will actually use the protein to create glucose. And if you're not getting enough of that, you just crave more food. So these people trying to minimize protein to get high ketones are just driving like you experienced 
greater hunger and less satiety. So, yeah. One thing about, I want to just tell you, you didn't know this, but that whole article that you wrote at one point, your blog post about the ketones and more not being better, where you have that graph where you've got the unicorns and rainbows on one end. (laughs) And that like taught me so much. And I took a screenshot of it. And when people were like, I'm having trouble getting my ketones up, aren't I supposed to? And I'm like, no, look, look at this graph. That was like the best graph ever because it talked about how what we really want is to have less energy in our blood from both glucose and ketones. That's where the metabolic health is found. Less energy floating around in your blood all the time. And I was like, wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what, what you really want is to reverse energy toxicity and have a lower total energy from glucose, ketones, and free fatty acids floating around in your blood. Energy toxicity, that's a powerful phrase right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we wrap it on about insulin toxicity is the fundamental cause of all these bad things. But what causes insulin toxicity? It's your liver is just holding back the flood of stored energy in your body by raising insulin. So the way to address that, the way to lower your insulin is to lower the stored energy in your body. So you need to address the energy toxicity to address the insulin toxicity. If you just, you know, eat fewer carbs and eat more fat, you're playing around with a 10 to 20% of insulin in your body that it produces. If you really want to get to the 80% of insulin that is required to hold your body together and not disintegrate to target your own body fat levels. So, yeah, you need to address the energy toxicity, not the insulin toxicity. And fasting is a great way to do that. Yeah. Were there any more keto laws that you wanted to mention? Um, Yeah, I said that fat is a free food because it doesn't cause an insulin response. Food quality is not important because it's all about avoiding carbs. So that's where I bang on about nutrient density, which I think is really important. Fasting for longer is better. I think once you get to a point, you're reaching for the peanut butter or the ice cream because you've gone seven days without eating and really feel you deserve it. You maybe need to dial it back and and find a balance that works for you. In case anyone was confused, (laughs) fasting for longer is better was a myth. He was saying it was not a recommendation. (laughs) Because we see that in the fasting community, Marty, where people... Like, well, I'm going to do a 72-hour fast every week, and then I'm going to fast for... I'm like, no, no, stop doing that. And they keep regaining the same weight again and again and again after these extended fasts where your lizard brain just takes over and and raids the pantry for the cheesecake. Well, because your body... There is a point where it is going to um, slow your metabolic rate, and you're going to... That starvation mode (laughs) that everyone warns you about. But it is real that when your body feels like you're in a starvation crisis, it's going to send you, hey, you better eat some more signals. And that's when people start to feel like they're weak and because they're binging. And it's just that your body is trying to keep you alive. Yeah. It's a smart body. And in the history of mankind, no one fasted for 21 days on purpose. You know, they did it because there was a problem. And, you know, if food was available, people would eat it. So our body is not knowing that you just want to wear a bathing suit. When you don't eat for three or four or seven days or 28 days, you're just not going to get enough protein and nutrients in that time frame. So you need to find a way of eating that balances the, the nutrient density and uh, you know the, the energy deficit that's caused by not eating as often. Yeah, so when you do eat, you need to find a way of eating more nutritious because your energy is coming from your body. And if you're getting to a point where 
you can't get enough protein and nutrients in each day, then you're probably pushing it too long. So, yeah, a lot of people find just eating twice a day or maybe even three times a day if they're really active and not trying to lose a lot of weight. But, yeah. Yeah, I think that's important. And I'm a little bit, you know, people talk about fasting for autophagy, but I think just finding a way that enables your body to find a a more healthy body composition over the longer term is really important because we've got interesting studies in mice who fast for 40 hours, but one day from mouse is, is 40 human days. So it's different. We don't understand really that much about autophagy. So, um, yeah, I think that the safest bet is finding a way of eating that enables you to have a good waist-to-height ratio. And Absolutely. You look healthy. So. And also autophagy is not – sorry, I said the American way, autophagy. Sorry. <laughs> You're <allowed to> your <laughs> you, you got, I love your I love, – well, no, I love your Australian pronunciation. That really is how people say it in Australia, anyone who's listening. But <laughs> – the thing about autophagy or autophagy is that it's not like a light switch that you turn on and off anyway. Mm. You know, it's not something that's like, now my autophagy is on, now it's off. It's more like a dial that it, it increases, it decreases. And so, you know, what really makes me want to um, scream, I don't know, is when I see a graphic – like there's one graphic that's going around that's been in the fasting groups for years. And it started off, someone typed it on a piece of paper and used yellow highlighter or something. And everyone shared screenshots of that for years. Then people have made nicer, prettier versions of that same terrible graphic. But it says something like it, you know, X number of hours, all insulin drains from the body or something crazy wording. And I'm like, no, no, there's. <laughs> you don't understand. And at 24 hours, autophagy begins. I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) They want like a timeline. Like they want it so bad. I've done it 18 hours. Am I going to cure my cancer right now? Like, okay, 18 hours, cancer cure it. It just doesn't happen like that. And what we do know is, like I said, you know, achieving a healthy body composition over the longer term, like it takes months and years to get you to that point and being spend a bit of time trying to get strong after trying to get skinny and that's all about progressive overload and you do a little bit you rest you do a little bit more next time and you rest and you do a little bit more and the feasting fasting cycle needs to be seen in a similar sort of ways you can't fast for 40 days and get all the health benefits and you know some people won't if they don't have enough body fat they won't last 40 days so you know you just need to find a sustainable balance that between feasting and fasting that would enable you to achieve your goals over the longer term. So You're going to have diminishing returns over the course of that longer fast. Just like if you were lifting weights, you wouldn't lift weights for seven days in a row, constantly never stopping. Yeah, right. Yeah. Same, same with the fasting. So um, let's talk about data-driven fasting because it's a fascinating concept and it's working really well with the people that you're working with. Yeah, I thought I'll share the spreadsheet that I made to, you know, lose a bit of weight. And yeah, it's going really, really, really well. We've turned it into an app and people just love it. So we just finished our fourth challenge, 30-day challenge. And um, yeah, people really dig it. It's, it's just a way of finding that feast-fast cycle that works for them without pushing them so far initially. So basically it's using your blood sugars as a fuel gauge. And Laurie found an article a couple of years ago and started doing it. She's been doing really well. And it was based around some research from University of Otago in hunger training in New Zealand and came across that where they used their blood sugars as a indication of whether they should eat or not eat. And if their blood sugars were over a certain 
threshold they'd um they'd, they'd wait to eat but we sort of dialed it in and said okay let's find a personal threshold over three days of baselining when you typically eat so if you're above that you say okay my fuel tank is full um, i don't need to eat or you know if you're really really hungry let's you know look for nutrients rather than energy so if your uh, blood sugar is a little bit over your trigger you don't go for the ice cream you might go for the more nutrient dense higher protein pe type ratio sort of foods and then over time as you just wait a little bit longer you become friends with your hunger signals and you start to understand your hunger signals and say okay this symptom of hunger is real hunger and i do need to refuel Versus, you know, I was just craving that that cookie or ice cream in the cupboard because I was bored or depressed or wanted a dopamine hit because, you know, I didn't have a good day at work or whatever. So, yeah, it's a really nice way of finding that balance. And then, you know, it's sort of gamified that you chase a, a lower and lower pre-meal blood sugar trigger. And as you go, okay, I'll wait a little bit longer for my blood sugars to deplete a little bit more, you're not starting out with fasting for a week and then binging afterwards you're just finding that balance of enough to achieve an energy deficit over the day without getting to the point that you're binging afterwards so if you everybody goes oh yeah i'm doing adf and um three four or whatever and it's okay let's just dial it back and in a way you enjoy and then chase a slightly lower trigger and every time they, they try to push it too hard they end up going oh I'm a, I, had a, I was a failure and I ate too much and it's like well it's just that progressive overload approach to finding a feasting and fasting balance and yeah it works really well and at the end people can understand the true hunger signals and like we talked about before they don't need to be a biohacker forever because they've found that balance between feasting and fasting and understanding their own inner lizard brain. And you know what it feels like then. You start to get, you know, dialed in. So I bet people can start to predict without even checking. They know. They're like, I bet I'm such and such. They know what that feels like. And I think that is so powerful because for a lot of us who have struggled with our weight and eating for so many years, the whole idea of – like I can remember before I was doing intermittent fasting, always I was on that roller coaster, that blood sugar roller coaster, and I was always thinking, is it time to eat yet? Can I have a snack now? Should I have a latte? And it was constant. But if, you, if you're looking at your blood glucose and you've got a number, you're like, well, here's my data. I have plenty of energy in my blood right now. My fuel tank is full. My tank is full. I don't need to eat. And then it takes that decision away. You know, fasting does that for so many of us. That is, you know, if, if you have like a time window that's set in stone, the decision is easy. But this is trying to use your own body to help you guide that decision. Yeah, and you learn a lot in the first few days of, of testing regularly with your little blood sugar meter. But we really want to guide people over the coming weeks to just find a happy medium that they can test occasionally. They might lock in a main meal once a day that they know they're going to eat regardless because they know that that works for them. They, they can have a healthy lunch or you know dinner with the family and then have another discretionary meal and maybe they have i know i'm going to have one meal a day and then that second meal a day is discretionary based on their blood sugar and if if it's over their target they know they've overfilled the fuel tanks and uh, they need to leave it or if it's below they can go yay celebrate i'm gonna eat that meal so again that what you're saying is it after like if they've had a meal and then they feel like later, should I eat again? They test their blood sugar again, and it might still be high. And their blood, they're like, I don't need to eat again. Yeah. So that's okay. Okay. This podcast is supported by FedEx. 
FedEx offers fast delivery, more visibility, simple returns, and weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. population on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. With FedEx, you get picture-proof of delivery, ensuring you always know where your package is. Returns are simple with packageless and paperless returns. Plus, FedEx Ground is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. So, what are you waiting for? See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, the coldest case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it just helps you find the window that works for you, that leads you to long-term progress. And you quickly learn that meal I had last night has really overfilled my fuel tanks. The the burger and fries is, uh, you know, I was able to eat twice as much as I usually would have, and that's kept my blood sugar and insulin higher for longer. And, you know, that everything is sort of between the extreme of donuts and cheesecake to lean protein, chicken breast and broccoli, everything's on that PE extreme. And, and the foods that keep your blood sugar higher for longer is the carbs and fat together foods that are really easy to overeat and you overfill your fuel tank. So you quickly learn that and start to choose the higher protein to energy ratio foods that help you feel satiated, not overfill your fuel tanks and you get the nutrients you need and you quickly deplete, deplete your blood glucose. So it's just this constant learning feedback system, but not everybody wants to be a biohacker forever. So before long, you get to the point that you don't need that crutch anymore and you've learned to make peace with your inner lizard brain and can uh, just live in the free world and understand your own hunger signals. It's like training wheels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hunger training. That's exactly what it is. So. Yeah. Well, I love it. So what does a, a day look like for you as far as eating a typical day? So I'll, I'll generally skip breakfast, go to work. We've got uh, kangaroo, which is a very lean meat over here, national emblem, but it's also a pest around farms. So they cull them and they um, sell the meat. So that's a very lean meat. I'll also have you know, some canned fish, mackerel, tuna, whatever maybe with salad at work and then I'll come home and have dinner with the family and, and then if I'm still hungry I'll top up with fuel at the end of the day, sort of listen to my body and go, do I need more fuel? Do I you know, have I worked out? Am I need to recover or I haven't as much and I tend to not be as hungry at that point. So definitely front load the nutrients and protein when you're hungry and then you know sort of back load the energy as required. I love that. You're front-loading the protein and the nutrients, and you're back-loading the energy. I don't know that I've ever heard anybody separate the idea like that. You know what I'm saying? The idea of yeah. nutrients versus energy. You know, we so much of what we eat, you know, I guess we've also heard them called empty calories, you know. 
Yeah. We've all heard of that, and that's just eating for the sake of energy. So you can be overfed and undernourished, mm. and, and that is so very common, I know, in America, probably in Australia too, right? Mm. Oh, yeah, definitely. We're all following America. and Sorry, you know, the, the... sorry, we gave you some bad, <laughs> bad habits. Don't do what we do. <laughs> Everybody's eating the foods with this weird concoction of, you know, refined vegetable oils and the sugars and starches, and it's just, you can see it, that the growth in energy from that is just parallel growth with their obesity epidemic. And once you stop gravitating towards those foods, they stop appealing to you. Yeah, and even our kids, you know, they eat those foods going, yeah, that, that wasn't great. And my son's become a bodybuilding bro at 14. No, he's looking for all the, you know, the bro foods to be jacked and lean for the girls and, and the daughter knows how to eat well. And they know that those foods, because they know what good food is, they know the bad foods are just imitation garbage and the siren call of those foods dissipates fairly quickly. That's good. You're giving them a great foundation. So how about how about Monica? Does she eat a very similar way to you? Um, not really. And I suppose that's one thing I've had to learn is that I don't need to eat like her because she's you know she's lean, not as active. She's not a you know try hard gym junkie like me. And she'll you know, during the day she'll just when she's ready to eat she'll um, throw a steak on the barbie but just in the fry pan <laughs> throw a steak in the barbie have some fish and chips and shrimp um sounds very aussie doesn't it but um yeah and and that just keeps her blood sugars really rock solid we've got this closed loop insulin system the steak is just really beautiful on that and then she'll eat dinner with us and maybe some nuts and whatever and um yeah she blood sugars and insulin have never been better so so she doesn't eat till later in the day at all she's fasting or um or she'll have some coffee with maybe a little bit of cream, but, you know, but earlier in the day, she likes her morning coffee. That's uh, my role in her life is to get her her morning coffee every day. So That's awfully um, nice. It's nice. (laughs) (laughs) Not sure how our relationship would go if there wasn't as much coffee involved, but um, it's just added so much quality of life. I suppose the difference is that, you know, for me, I I tend to, I've got a family history of obesity and, and it's easy for me to be bigger. So I need to put more effort into focusing on those, you know, high satiety foods and she can tolerate a, a higher fat, low carb, maybe even keto inverted commas diet that deals with her blood sugars really well. So she she does tend to be rather keto-ish. Yeah, definitely low carb. And anytime she goes out and has um, things that she doesn't normally eat, you just see that the, the blood sugar and insulin just rise and rise and rise with the fat and carbs together. And that can go on for 36 hours before it comes back down and stabilizes. So you just really get this amazing understanding of how how big a deal those foods are for everybody else that is just you know filling the fuel tanks, raising insulin. It's over the two hours. It's over the long term. The fat and carbs together just you know leave you both fuel tanks full forever in a way that was never available in nature. Yeah, and so you know fasting fasting depletes those fuel tanks better than anything else. <laughs> Which is why we don't have to have a diet war about what we're going to eat in our eating windows, right? <laughs> and, yeah, I love the, t- the thought about window worthy and just think about is this worthy for my window of what I'm going to eat now? You know, what do I really need to eat? Be intentional. Yeah, I think that's so important. So um, tell people how they can find your groups and, and take part in what you're offering, because I know a lot of listeners, and also be ready, I'm just going to tell you this, because a lot of people are listening and they're going to be like, I need 
what Marty Kendall is offering. You know, there may be someone who's stuck, maybe just, you know, like I said, I lost over 80 pounds and it was without having to really overthink what I was eating. But not everybody can do that. So some people are going to need a little bit more. So people are going to hear this and be like, I got to do it. So how do they how do they find you and what what will they get for from finding you? Yeah, so um, probably the best place, first place is the Data Driven Fasting Facebook group. So they can check that out. I've got a group and with all the units that give you an overview of what data driven fasting is. And you can get a, a little baselining spreadsheet. And then we're running in every five weeks a challenge where they can get into that and then use the app, which has worked really, really, really well. So it just, you know, tells you what to do, when to take your blood sugars, when to eat, when to not eat. If your blood sugars are a little bit above your trigger and you're still really hungry, it tells you, you know, guides you to those more nutritious, protein focused foods. And if you blow your trigger, you can you know refuel because your body actually needs it so yeah check that out also datadrivenfasting.com they can download the manual we've got 100 faqs for all the different questions that come up as people start to test their blood sugars also if you want to look at what to eat check out um, optimizing nutrition and nutrient optimizer we've got a whole bunch of food lists and recipe books and a masterclass that we're running three times a year just to help people dial in their what to eat when they eat a little bit more. So we take them through macros and then micros and then they compete for the highest nutrient density score, which is really cool because once you're focusing on getting more nutrients from food, all the worries about when can I eat and how much can I eat fall away because these foods are just so satiating and so filling that they're impossible to overeat. So the weight loss just looks after itself. That's phenomenal. I love the sound of who can have the highest nutrient density score. I would like to play that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's very challenging, and, and some people get very triggered and uh, competitive. So well, it's great. I'm pretty competitive. I also realized I just did the Zoe app, which is you know Dr. Specter, Tim Specter, and his Predict study, and I was part of the Predict three, but. I think it was very nutrient-dense, lots and lots of beans <laughs> and vegetables. My body doesn't clear fat well, I found out, which was made me so sad. <laughs> but it also helped me understand why when I was doing keto back in 2014, it was so inflammatory for me because according to you know their data, if you are the kind of person that doesn't clear fat well, obviously – then in my blood, I would have too much fat. And so that's inflammatory for my body. And keto always felt inflammatory for me. Mm. But other people clear fat better than me. So I'm not one of them. The whole, whole CGM thing is fascinating because it gives you so much power and data. But at the same time, so many people's brains just completely explode trying to understand it and calibrate it. And so and, and my I love data and I do data all day for fun in my spare time. But looking at money's continuous glucose monitor all the time and trying to understand it and manage it is just really a mental overwhelm. So I think most people trying to come into it going, what do I do with all this data is um, a really often too much. And just you know, looking at your blood sugar, single point, right? when you feel hungry, do I really need to eat is much more 
useful sometimes and gets you better results than falling off the wagon because your brain blew up trying to understand what to do with all the information, from my experience anyway. Also, our blood glucose does so many crazy things over the course of the day, which I really noticed after <laughs> wearing that. You know, and, and then people would come in to the groups and they're like, oh my gosh, I just had my fasting blood glucose done at the doctor's office and it was, you know, XYZ and six months ago it was lower. What's wrong? We're like, that's just a tiny snapshot in time. That is meaningless, but you don't realize that till you see what our blood glucose really does do over the course of the day. Yeah, and also your insulin drops as you fast, so your waking blood sugars can rise because it's just releasing fat stores and glucose stores overnight. So, yeah, a lot of people find when they start losing weight, their waking blood sugars goes up. So that's another thing. It's like let's not worry about all those other blood sugars. Let's just look at are you hungry? Do you really need to eat? Do you need to refuel based on your pre-meal blood sugar? Yes, no, move on. So you just have them. You're not recommending people wear a continuous blood glucose monitor. They're just doing the finger prick done. Yep. Yeah. Keep it simple. Cheap as simple. And anybody and can get one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you're on the medical cover, you can get them for free. And rather than spending thousands and thousands and then looking at it and going, what do I do with all the information? People think more information is better, but it's not. I love that. That makes me the happiest because <laughs> that's really me. Too much information, you know, paralysis of analysis, right? And you're like, I'm so confused. And then really just keep it simple. Yep. I don't even want to track my food. I'm done with that. <laughs> 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 I started to go down with the story of when I was doing the Zoe and I had to input all my foods and it gave you a daily score. And I wanted to have the highest score I could get. And so, but I would always eat too much fat because, and it would lower my score. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got mad. I'm like, I'm trying, tired of. <laughs> I just want to eat this food that's delicious, you know, until I'm full, and then I want to stop. <laughs> so that's what I do. That's, and you're thriving. That's great. Well, I am, and you know, I've I've been through menopause in the past. You know, October is when I officially hit the. I'm on the other side of menopause, and so I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to age well and feel good and. I don't have to worry about all that. Just eat good food, the highest nutrient-dense food that I can have in the moment, right? Window-worthy. Window-worthy, yeah, exactly. So um, people should totally look for Marty, look for um, the Data-Driven Fasting Facebook group. And then, um, so what what kind of results are people having, you know, once they finally get it dialed in? Yeah, um, it happens actually fairly quickly because people are very mindful of what they're eating when they start tracking. So they've, um, like we're doing the, the masterclass where they did the macros dialing in, but we're seeing a whole lot better, quicker results as people just focus on their blood sugars and, um, you know, 1.5% a week sort of thing. For some people, as they just focus on their pre-meal blood sugars, which is insane, and you probably shouldn't continue on that for too long. But we've got all these people that go, you know, I've hit my goal weight and you know, my blood sugars are really, really low and what should I do? And it's like, oh, this is a great problem to have in a world that's filled with diabetes. It's like, yeah. wow. Eat some more food. <laughs> have a longer window. <laughs> Time to eat and add more fat and carbs back into your uh, your diet and find a, a maintenance that you enjoy. And we've got a maintenance mode in the app now too, which will just sort of, if they want to check their blood sugars occasionally, if they're not sure where they need to refuel, they can just do that and just maintain for the long term without having to put as much effort into it. I love it. Well, I predict that when this episode comes out, April 29th, write that down. 
<laughs> Everybody look for Marty. <laughs> I'll make some time to be on Facebook to respond to the questions. There you go. There you go. Well, um, we're almost out of time. What would you tell someone just starting out with intermittent fasting? Or what do you wish you knew when you first started? But man, your answer is probably going to be really different. Wow. No, read the book for that one. There's a lot of things I've had to unlearn. How to start is just take it easy and be gentle on yourself and make small changes and just continue to celebrate the tiny wins and keep moving forward. Don't push it so long that you fall off the wagon and wake the lizard brain and, and feel like a failure and then, you know, you hate yourself. So just take it easy, love what you do, and just ramp it up as you continue to see success. Absolutely. Well, Marty, thank you so much for being here. And I have Honor. learned a lot from you over the years, even though you didn't know I was doing it. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> and I look forward to working together and staying in touch. Yeah, oh, thank you. Thank you, Jen. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Do you have an intermittent fasting story to tell? Email me at jen at intermittentfastingstories.com and I'll add you to the lineup. That's G I N at intermittentfastingstories.com. The world wants to hear your story. That's it for today. Remember, I may have a doctorate, but I'm not a medical doctor. So don't use anything you hear on this podcast as a substitute for medical advice. Please always check with your doctor or healthcare provider if you have medical questions. I'll talk to you next week, Fasting Family, where we will hear another inspiring story. Have a great week and fast on. Intermittent Fasting Stories is edited, mixed, and mastered by Resonate Recordings. To learn more, visit them at ResonateRecordings.com or email them at hello at ResonateRecordings.com. Intermittent Fasting Stories listeners will receive a free offer if you mention that you heard it on the podcast.